Learning about the harmful effects of the chemical additives and the sulfites and the mega purple in the wine, it came secondary to the sugar for me, but it has heightened my awareness of what's going into my wine glass and made me a much more um, diligent consumer and, you know, able to kind of ask these questions. Where did this wine come from? What is in it? Should I be consuming this? Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast, where we empower the women who are supporting their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. everyone. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have a master's in data and analytics, and I've been in the wellness space for over 10 years now. I'm a mom to a toddler and an infant, Connor and Ashlyn. I'm also a soon-to-be part-time insurance executive and making the way into the wellness space more full-time. And today I am joined by Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. How's it going? Good. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Nicole Payton. I live in La Selva Beach, California. I am a mom of two. I have two little ones. My son Ellis is two and a half and our daughter Isla is four and a half. Um, I am mostly a stay-at-home mom. That's kind of my main focus with them. Um, But I have a side hustle with a company called Scout and Seller. And then I also run a blog called The Motherhood Memoir where I publish birth stories written by parents, um, and I facilitate conversations around various women's health topics um, via Zoom with groups of women who are interested in learning about um, specific topics around their health. Yeah, I've uh, my birth story was published, like, I guess two and a half years ago. He's almost three. So sometime around then, that uh, that's how we first got in touch, was putting... Connor's birth story on your blog. And I still have to get you Ashlyn's, but since I recorded it on this podcast so soon after she was born, I was less like anxious to write it down because I can always listen to it, but yeah, <laughs> it is still on my list. Yeah, I should just share the recording on the on the blog. I've done that before because sometimes people have it, you know, somewhere else recorded like on yeah, on a podcast or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, stories are so fun. And I, you know, that's kind of how motherhood memoir started was just birth stories. That's all I really planned to do. And then it sort of evolved into just like my kind of motherhood blog about my journey, but also highlighting um, other women's journeys, birth stories in particular. Um, it's been a really fun kind of evolution. Yeah, it's such a wonderful space. And I've attended a couple of the webinars you've done as well, which I, I'm just like excited for that to continue to develop into this community. Yeah, that stuff is so fun because it's, you know, I feel like um, almost like, you know, it's sort of like a podcast. Like I feel like I'm just the conversation facilitator and we always bring on these incredibly knowledgeable subject matter experts who just share so much knowledge um, with groups of women. And everyone's always just so grateful and leaves just feeling, I think, really empowered and educated um, on whatever the given topic is. And so it's great. There's just, there's so many opportunity with it. There's like so much potential to talk about so many different things. I mean, I'm sure you, you probably battle the same, um, you know, sort of too many subjects when you're thinking of podcast guests, because it's like, there's just so much. Yeah. 
No, it's, and then, yeah, we met in person at the Modern Mamas Retreat in Austin, which I, I everybody has heard me talk about these on the podcast because I feel like half of my guests have come from there. So that was really fun too, to have that, that in-person oh, yeah. community. And I'm like, we need to, we need to be in touch more. I <laughs> so, know. I know. And we are. It was so cool to, to meet you in person there. And yeah, just put, put names to the faces and or faces to the names, I guess. And, um, yeah. Now you just have to meet the babies. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Gosh, I know. Get the little ones together. Someday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Today we are talking about drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you want to talk about how you became, like, how you got into that space? Because I think you've kind of had this health. I mean, we've talked about this. You were involved in CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And so you've been in this, like, health space for a while. Do you want to talk about how that evolved? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I worked prior to quitting my job with CrossFit to stay home with the kids. I worked there for six and a half years, um, in their media department as a copy editor. Um, I loved it. It was, I started working for the company about three or four months after I actually found CrossFit and started doing it for my own, um, my fitness regimen. Um, so I was like pretty starstruck when I got a job with the company and, uh, was able to kind of like really immerse myself in that space. So I worked in media. So I was like behind a computer most of the time. Um, but being involved in the health and wellness world is very much a part of that, um, job, just that company, no matter what your job is in the company, you're expected to, um, you know, take part, at least give CrossFit a try if you've never done it. Um, and then there's like diet, there's all this diet stuff around it. Like paleo was big for a long time. Zone is another one. Um, clean eating is just kind of, um, an overarching umbrella for that whole world. Um, and it really changed my life. I, you know, before I started CrossFit, I was a, just, I was an avid runner. I used to go to the gym a lot, like a, um, Globo gym is what we call them in CrossFit, like a 24 hour fitness or something like that. Uh, did like lots of cardio and kind of just ate. Um, I don't know. I think I was pretty, I was kind of like vegetarian for a long time, thought I was eating well, but was probably lacking lots of things in my diet. Um, and finding CrossFit really allowed me to tap into, um, listening to my body, um, what my body could do versus how my body looked. Um, and that just sort of led me down the rabbit hole of health and wellness. Like how can I become my best self? How can I take care of this like one body that I have? Um, and so I've dabbled with different diets and different, um, have health habits here and there, but ultimately what I've always come back to is clean eating, um, clean drinking in this case for <laughs> that's relevant to what we're talking about and, um, and being active. And that's changed for me over the years. Um, sort of what that looks like has changed. I do a lot of home fitness now. I'm not no longer a part of a gym, with two kids, it's just easier for me to do that. Um, so it's evolved, but it's definitely become a gigantic part of my life, my identity. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, how did you specifically become interested in wine? Um, well, actually, so I mean, gosh, I've been drinking wine for (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of experience drinking (laughs) I'm very qualified yeah yeah I've been drinking wine for several years um I've never really you know when I was like younger I kind of drank I I can remember like going to like Trader Joe's and buying like 
two buck track off the shelf and drinking that. And it makes me my stomach like churn to think about that now. Um, but when you're young, you know, I was like probably 23 or 24 and it's like, you can do that. I don't know. It was fine. I had no issue with it. It was great for me. It was cheap. It was whatever. Anyway, um, as I started to get a little older and learn more about wine, um, we live, so where I live is on the central coast and we have some really amazing, um, wineries um, and vineyards around here. And so I started drinking um, locally. So my bar for um, quality used to be like, is it local? Is it more than like 15 or $16? Um, And, you know, do I have some connection to the winery basically? Um, And that was kind of like my bar for quality. And then an actually good friend of both of ours, um, Laura Bruner approached me with the opportunity to work with Scout and Cellar, uh, which is a company that's based in Texas and curates clean crafted wine from around the world. And so that's kind of, that was my first like entry. She brought over a bottle of wine um, that we shared and it was delicious. And we just started talking about um, all of the different additives that are in lots of mass mass produced wines and why these are terrible for you. Um, and it became again, like sort of the same way I went down like the food health rabbit hole when I started CrossFit. Um, I, I started to go down the, the, you know, drinking health rabbit hole and really pay attention to what was in my wine, what was in my wine glass and what am I consuming? And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that was my entry point into it. Yeah, I'll just share a little bit about mine. Mine doesn't have as cool of a story, but it was just, I started to notice feeling really crappy when I would drink, (laughs) which I mean, I I think a lot of people think you like have to feel crappy when you drink and you don't. And so I would go out for wine and this is maybe, I mean, I've been pregnant or breastfeeding for most of the past four years, but you know, there's, there's been spaces in between them. I'm okay with having a little bit to drink when I'm pregnant or breastfeeding, depending, you know, whatever, depending on exactly when, but, um, so I would just notice that I would have a little bit of wine and I couldn't sleep. And it, I started experimenting, like, is it all wines? Is it the time of day? Like if I stay out too much and I've kind of come to this place of, I'm not going to be drinking anything that has these additives in it anymore, which we'll get into, but it's just, I, you know, I'm a data scientist. So I'm logging things like, okay, I drank this and this is how I felt. And so I feel like I'm still new to this. Um, and I'm learning a lot from you and from Laura, but it's, yeah, it's more based on how I feel than knowing everything about wine. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to learn more from you today. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with that. I resonate with that a lot because I think, you know, I don't know, as a, as a younger, as a young adult, I think you get to that point where you think it's like kind of funny to be hungover. Like you wake up after a lot of drinking and you're just like, Oh yeah, I feel terrible. Let's go get like greasy food or whatever. And it's like, I have two kids. Uh, we're busy. My husband and I are, we both have a lot going on. Like I can't, I can't have that feeling. That's not, and nor do I want it. Um, so I resonate with that a lot. Like, I just want to feel good. I want to be able to enjoy a glass or two of wine with dinner or with my friends or whatever, and, um, feel okay the next day and be able to go about my life. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I completely, I hear you on that. Yeah. <laughs> feeling crappy with kids around is just no good. No. <laughs> so no fun. Um, yeah. So can you get into like the traditional wines, how it's processed, what's added, kind of all of that, that I know I've heard you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
So the chemical additives, there it's crazy. There are up to 250 chemical additives in a lot of mass-produced wines. Um, so there are, you know, too many to talk about on one podcast, but the ones that people hear about a lot um, are sulfites. Um, Mega purple is another one. Um, and not a chemical, but added sugar is a really big um a really big thing in mass produced wines as well, which is is surprisingly um lesser known. I find a lot of people ask me, like, wait, does do conventional wines add sugar? And, and it's like, yeah, they do, but you don't even really think about it. Um, part of that problem is, you know, there's no labeling. Um, so if you were to look at a bottle of wine or look at a label on a bottle of wine, if they had them and you saw a bunch of added sugar, you probably wouldn't, you know, go for that wine if you were watching your sugar intake or whatever. But anyway, so sulfites, I think is like the really big one. People feel really um, strongly about sulfite addition to wine. And I think there's a few things to understand about sulfites. First of all, they're naturally occurring. Um, they're an antioxidant and antibacterial agent. Um, they are naturally occurring in grapes and it's a byproduct of the fermentation process. So what they do is they protect your wine from oxygen, um, until it reaches your glass. And so they, they're widely overused as a preservative, um, against certain yeast and bacteria, which will likely kill the wine, um, if they multiply so they're widely overused, but they're, they're pretty necessary, um, to maintain the integrity of the wine. Um, and so what happens is during the fermentation process, there's a small amount of sulfites um, that are produced, but the amount that's produced is not enough to actually protect the wine. So a small amount is necessary to ensure that the wine doesn't essentially um, turn to vinegar. Uh, but the problem is many mass produced wine companies use way more than is actually necessary. And the reason they do that is because they ship all over the place and they never know how long their wine is going to sit on a grocery store shelf, in a truck, etc. Um, so they want to make sure that the wine can be preserved for long periods of time. So the FDA allows up to 350 parts per million. That's how they measure sulfites as parts per million. They allow up to 350 parts per million um, in a bottle of wine. Um, Scout and Cellar wines are... Most wines are less than 50 parts per million and all the wines are less than 100 parts per million. So they, they add like the smallest amount that is possible in order to make sure that your wine doesn't taste completely vile, basically. Um, if you've ever had like completely sulfite-free wine, it has a very different taste. Um, so there, it's a naturally occurring um, essential thing to maintain your wine, um, but too much of it is where people start to feel um, like the crappy side effects that you talk about. Um, the sulfites are actually like an allergen. So if you have too many of them, you might get like headaches. You might get that like stuffy nose feeling. Um, so it's important to know like what the amount of sulfites are in your wine and most bottles. So in order to, if you have more than 10 parts per million um, sulfites in a bottle of wine, they have to put that on the label. So you'll see like, almost all mass produced wines for sure are going to say um, contains added sulfites and scout and cellar wines will say that as well. It's just that we contain way less. So it's really tough to be like a diligent consumer <laughs> because that label is, is overarching, right? It just says contain sulfites, but you don't know how many. Um, so scout and cellar is pretty transparent about that. Like always less than a hundred, most, most of the time less than 50. Um, and if you're getting a bottle of mass-produced wine off the shelf, you can probably bet there's 350 parts per million. They're going to go right up to that limit 
of what the FDA allows. Um, so that's, that's sulfites. The, another one that I'm always really curious about, um, is mega purple. So mega purple, I've talked a little bit about, um, on my Instagram account because I found it so fascinating. I had never, I had never heard of this before I started learning more about wine. Um, it's a grape juice concentrate. So it's actually used to manipulate the color, the taste, and the viscosity of the wine. So the viscosity is like how it feels in your mouth. Like, does it coat your mouth? Does it not? Um, so it ensures sort of a more uniform product. Um, and it's important to note that, you know, most of the time when these chemicals and things are added, that is the goal to make a consistent product. Um, so mega purple changes the color, changes the taste, changes the feel of the wine. And a lot of mass produced wine companies want to maintain, you know, a consistent bottle of wine. They want you to know that when you buy their Merlot, it's going to be the same year to year to year. And that doesn't, that's not possible with a natural winemaking process because the climate changes, um, the, you know, the soil changes. And so the grapes change, uh, which is going to change the wine. Um, but mega purple is one of those things that a lot of wineries, wine companies and winemakers will use to ensure that the product is staying exactly how they want it. Um, and is, and is really consistent. It's also full of sugar. I mean, it's a grape juice concentrate, so it's full of sugar. So if you're drinking a mass produced bottle of wine that contains excess sugar and mega purple, you're getting like this double dose of, of sugar. Um, which is the next thing that I always like to talk about it as an additive. So the no added sugar was like the big draw for me. Um, like I said, people often question whether other wine actually has added sugar in it. And the answer is yes. And it surprises a lot of people. Honestly, it surprised me. I wasn't really that I kind of knew before Scout and Cellar that when I was consuming wine, I was consuming sugar. But in my mind, I hadn't really differentiated between um, added sugar and natural sugars. Um, but once I started learning that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is huge. This is a big deal. With, with my background in CrossFit, they're really big um, in like the anti-sugar movement. And I learned a lot while I was there, which made me very aware of the negative effects that added sugar has on our bodies. Um, so I really clung to that when I started um, uh, working with Scout and Cellar um, because the added sugar thing is just huge. I mean, being overweight, being a type 2 diabetic, um, I mean, like you could take the current the climate we're in right now, right? The COVID pandemic. Like if you are a type two diabetic or you're significantly overweight, your chances of getting really sick if you can track COVID are much higher than they would be for somebody who wasn't suffering from those, from, from those ailments. Um, so added sugar just makes us susceptible to a host of other diseases um, and other problems. So learning about the harmful effects of the chemical additives and the sulfites and the mega purple in the wine, it came secondary to the sugar for me but it has heightened my awareness of what's going into my wine glass and made me a much more um, diligent consumer and, you know, able to kind of ask these questions, where did this wine come from? What is in it? Should I be consuming this? So I appreciate that Scout and Cellar has a lot of transparency um, and I can get those questions answered um, pretty easily. That's, that's my, yeah. Attitude. And the, sh <laughs> the sugar doesn't surprise me at all. I thought uh, until extremely recently, I thought I didn't like white wines because they were too sweet. And I, I think it tends to be, um, you can find drier red wines easier than white wines, but obviously there's some like Moscato that are extremely sweet and um, I, I don't care for that at all. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it, it, that did not surprise me about the sugar, but 
um, yeah, it's, it's obviously something we want to talk more about, like the blood sugar mm-hmm. impacts when you're drinking, because obviously there's some natural sugars still in wine, but th- that's it from, from some of these more natural wines. It's not the natural sugar plus a ton of added sugar. Yeah, so residual sugar. That's what, that's how, like when we look at wines for Scott and Seller, they're going to have a residual sugar content, which, which is just what's left over after the fermentation process. Um, so it's, yeah, like, I don't know. I've seen some, some graphics comparing like a bottle of mass produced wine to like a donut, you know? And it's like, when you put it in that light for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, that that's like what people are consuming and aren't even aware of it. And it's just the, the, the no label is so hard. Um, because obviously having the label makes it a lot easier to be a diligent consumer, um, because you could just read what's on it. You know, that's one thing, whenever I talk to someone about nutrition, I'm like, read the label, read the label, read the label, but you can't do it with wines. Um, so, and it's unfortunate that, you know, a lot of companies aren't, um, super transparent, uh, with what, you know, what their practices are in terms of processing and making the wine. Um, so yeah, you got, you got to find some that are and just stick to that. But they make it that way. There's a lot of lobbyists that want to keep that label off the wine because they're, uh, I mean, there's certain types of wine that are very popular that they want to keep their branded taste. They don't want to go with the taste of the grapes. Like um, they kind of lose a competitive advantage if people start seeking out something different. So (laughs) that's so so true. That's, and that's the uniformity I'm talking about, you know, is that they want, if, if, if a wine producer finds out that somebody or there's a, you know, a host of people that are really into their one wine, they're going to want to keep that exactly how it is so that year after year people will buy it and continue to consume it. Um, and, and know what they're getting, you know, well, know yeah. what, they're, what they're tasting, I guess. <laughs> and I know we've talked about the, like the malt beverages now are very popular or like spritzers or the canned, beverages. I think I see those more than anything else now, just at outside parties. And that is one positive thing about those is they do have to list things on the label, but they are able to hide ingredients in things like natural flavors. Like that's over 250 different things that can be just thrown into natural flavors. So there's, there's more transparency. It's not the best, but you're going to be able to see does my beverage have corn syrup or um, I mean, natural flavors is one that I don't love to see because Mm -hmm. again, they're hiding something. Uh, They could tell you what those flavors are if they wanted to. (laughs) They don't want to, if they're labeling it as that. So that's what is so crazy. I mean, like with you, with your background, you know, right. You're going to see that and be like, Oh, that's a red flag. Um, But for somebody who doesn't, have the background or, or even have like a good baseline of, of what, um, you know, sound nutrition looks like natural is just one of those words that's going to fool people. Um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to think, okay, natural organic. It kind of goes down this whole line of like, yeah, it's just, it's natural, like an orange I pick from outside or whatever, you know? And, And it's like, and it's not. Um, so yeah, it's deceptive. It's very deceptive. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the sugar. Um, Because I've talked a lot about that just in general. Like, it's very important, especially if you're thinking about getting pregnant anytime soon, or if you are 
pregnant or postpartum, uh, you're probably not drinking as much, but no judgment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you like blood sugar control is so important and it really has a big impact on a lot of things. So people might not be relating to that, but sleep issues is a big one. So you have a blood sugar spike. If, if your blood sugar goes really far up from something you can consume, generally something that has a lot of sugar without a balanced amount of protein or carbohydrate, and something liquid is extremely quick to get absorbed into the bloodstream because it's not spending much time in the stomach. So we've talked about that even from like smoothies, like if it's if there's no fat or protein in a, a smoothie or a fruit juice, like this is all kind of the same thing from a blood sugar perspective. You're consuming it in a liquid form by itself. It's quickly getting into the bloodstream. Mm, so you'll see this big spike and then you'll get a big drop. And so your body's producing insulin, producing insulin to bring your blood sugar down. And then a lot of times it'll get too low because it it just doesn't even know how to handle that amount of sugar. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing this at night, which a lot of alcohol consumption does tend to be closer to when you're going to bed, you get that crash of your blood sugar in the middle of the night and you might get really bad sleep. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you're, you're waking up in the middle of the night after you drink, you're, that's, that's a sign that your, your blood sugar might not be in balance. So, oh, so interesting. I definitely remember that. Remember doing that. Wait, he's like, all you want to do is sleep. You're like, especially if you've had a walk, right. you're like, I just want to sleep it off or whatever. But, um, uh, I remember waking up and not being able to go back to sleep in you know my younger days. <laughs> Yeah. So that's extremely common when you're consuming a lot of sugar. So I I think a big step is going to be drinking something that's lower in sugar in general. And that's what we're saying. There's these wines that don't have added sugar, but it's, it's even like, yeah, not doing a lot of fruity cocktails. Obviously a lot of those have added sugars. Um, So being mindful of that and potentially just eating or consuming other things with that to balance it out a little bit, but it is hard to do because of the liquid. So I think that's really important to, to get this low, this lower sugar content in what you're drinking, especially if you're having more than one drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we have talked about like the keto on the podcast too, like how a lot of people are in this place where you're wanting to heal blood sugar imbalances. So a lot of mood disorders, there's there's a lot of things like symptoms of ADHD can be cleared up mm. from leveling out your blood sugar or, you know, that 2 to 3 p.m. slump in the afternoon where you need the coffee. Those are generally signs of blood sugar imbalance. So if you're having any of these things, you probably want to look at your sugar consumption. So it's it's Again, we're talking about alcohol because this is a source of sugar, but it's really everything if you're um, like no matter what you're doing. So I think in relation to alcohol, like lowering the sugar content in your alcohol would be a really good move if you're experiencing any of these symptoms. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the scout and cellar, you can remain in a ketogenic state and drink these wines, which 
is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like that would be a really good place to start if you're trying to lower your sugar intake. It's like when people um, drink soda all the time and then all of a sudden they stop drinking soda. Like the effects on their health are astronomical, you know, in a good way. And it's just like I think because it's a liquid, you kind of don't think about it as much. Um, you know, you don't you're not eating a donut, so you're not like, oh yeah, I'm consuming a bunch of sugar right now. So we tend to maybe have more of it. So I feel like if you were to take one, you know, somebody who needed to lower their sugar intake, um, and they had a few glasses of, or a couple glasses of wine every night or whatever, that'd be like one really great place to look where you could cut out a ton. Um, and luckily like there are these other options like scout and cellar where you can still enjoy that. Um, but with less sugar consumption. Yeah. And, and something else I see, which is more on the mentality piece of it is a lot of people tend to just write off, um, they have a night where they're at a party, they're doing some drinking, they're like, Oh, this is a cheat day, it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, usually won't get into it with somebody, but there's an internal eye roll going on where it's just like, it all counts, you're putting it in your body, like you need to use this body to perform like whatever you're doing, you need your body to get you through the workday to watch your kids like to do all these things. So what you're putting in either is serving your body or it's not. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's no such thing as a cheat day. It's a, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with the consequences, I think is more the attitude, but yeah. there's, there's choices you could make to like, let's make this part of a healthy lifestyle, not just like close our eyes and hope for the best. <laughs> so uh, what I actually see is a lot of people who are not only drinking, like drinks with a lot of sugar, you know, like Frosé or things where it's like extra, extra sugar added to the wine, but then they're also having desserts and things with it. So uh, from my perspective, there, there might be a place for that, but if you're having some of these symptoms of poor blood sugar control, that might be a time where I don't want to give up drinking. I like going out and having a drink or two, but I'm going to make a conscious effort to balance it out with some protein or, um, or fat and drink a wine with a lower sugar content. Like, you you know what I mean? So it's like, you don't have to just like write it off just because you're going to have a couple drinks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to ruin your, your day or your next day or whatever. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk more about um, like the biodynamic aspect of wines? Sure. Yeah. So biodynamic farming, it's actually really cool. Scout and Cellar has um, scouted. So biodynamic farming happens a lot in other places. Europe, for example, is really, really big in biodynamic farming. Um, And like in America, it happens. Um, It happens a lot, but not nearly as much. And it's not nearly as... um, yeah, it's not nearly as widespread. So it's similar to organic farming, but they take it a step further. Um, they, When you're biodynamic farming, you're treating the soil, fertility, the plant growth, and the livestock uh, care as ecologically interrelated tasks. So it, it essentially allows a farm to act as its own sustainable ecosystem. So they're taking into account um, how they're fertilizing the soil, how the plants are growing, how we're caring for the cows and, and the other animals that are, are on the farm. Um, it, they emphasize the use of manures and composts, and they definitely exclude synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, which um, is similar to an, or, an organic farm. Um, in terms of winemaking, too, many biodynamic vineyards, they only grow as many vines as can be picked by hand walking through the vineyard. 
Um, so a lot of mass produced, uh, wines will come from a vineyard that it has been, you know, machines all over the place, picking the the grapes by machine. Um, and like tons of grapes, you get a, a much larger yield from a conventional vine than you do, um, an organic or what we call a clean crafted vine. Um, so a lot of the biodynamic vineyards don't use machines at all. Um, they, they only, it's like a small craft, um, you know, area that they just, it's as much as they can walk through, um, to pick the grapes. And there's also like specific times of day that they pick the grapes. And so it really has to be a small enough area that they can get through it all at these specific times. It's usually like really early in the morning or at like, um, like sunset time. Um, so they don't use machines and they just believe more in the culture of winemaking, um, than the production and the subsequent sales. So it's kind of just this like, whole earth, um, sustainable way of approaching farming. Um, and it's cool because Scout and Cellar has found a lot of uh, domestic farms and vineyards that are practicing biodynamically. Um, and you'll see that when you, when you look at what we offer, um, like on the website, it will say if it's from a biodynamic farm. Um, and we're really proud of that um, because it, it is a really cool way um, to just you know, support those farms, support those small farms that are really making a huge effort to treat our earth the way it should be treated. Um, and in turn treat the consumers the way they should be treated with a really um, beautiful, like nature forward product. Yeah. That just makes my heart happy. I've, I've done a lot more studying around this in the food side where, like the cows can fertilize the vegetables and the chickens eat the bugs rather than needing a pesticide. And it's just like so beautiful. And just this, this idea that these big food giants want to separate all of those things, even though they can like work in harmony, it's like, let's separate it. Let's make it operate with chemicals and like ignore any of that like beautiful dynamic system that's there. I read about this biodynamic farm that um, I can't remember where this was now. I read about it or I watched a documentary and I should have looked that up before we got on, but I can't remember what it is. I'll let you know if it comes back to mind, but it was basically like talking about how they had this little farm and all these different problems would arise, you know, you know, things were getting eaten or blah, 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 things happen. Um, mold or, you know, whatever it was, they have all these little problems, but it would always like nature would always correct it. So rather than go in and like spray a bunch of pesticides because some of their crops were being eaten, they just kind of waited it out um, and, and it corrected and they kind of, they figured out a way to continue and produce really quality um, foods without having to use anything outside of just like our natural world, which is just so cool. So cool. Yeah, I'm a big supporter of small farms because they just they they just don't tend to like they're close enough to their animals, to their their products that they're not taking these shortcuts in the way that the food giants are. Um like obviously with it's with animal welfare, it has a special <laughs> a special priority for me, but it, just all of it, I think looking back at the process is just as important as the ingredients because it's like you can have this big, big food organic movement and it's really not done any better. It's like the, you know, the animals are still kept in captivity, but they're fed organic feed. Like just, just the word organic doesn't mean 
it's produced any better than the conventional. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, where we live um, on the central coast in California, we have a just beautiful variety of small family farms around us. So they call it like the salad, they call it the salad bowl here because we produce so much um, produce uh, I say we, I don't have any, <laughs> I don't produce it, but the surrounding farms do. Like if you go, I lived in North Carolina for a very short period while my husband was getting out of the army and we would find strawberries there that came from Watsonville, which is like down the street from my house. Like, it's just like, wow. bizarre. like they, we just, they make a lot of, um, of, they produce a lot of produce here and it goes around the country And so it's important for me to like, we shop at farmer's markets. We have a lot of really amazing ones around here. And it's super important for me to support those small family farms so that they can keep doing what they're doing, which is farming responsibly and sustainably. And once I started thinking about it in terms of drinking, uh, it's like, yeah, of course I want to do the same with my wine because I drink wine. I mean, we drink wine with dinner. So if our food comes from this like amazing, beautiful biodynamic farm, but our wine is coming from, you know, this mass produced, um, vineyard that has, you know, and it's got all kinds of sugar and chemicals in it. Like, what am I really doing there? I'm not, I'm not actually walking the walk. So it was important to me to make that switch. And, you know, I will say like before Scout and Cellar, I was drinking local wine, um, that I, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I would say that a lot of it is probably, um, you know, chemical free. I don't know. It's funny. Cause I just don't know. But to me, local was like, that was a, that was a standard. It was like, is it local? Um, and you know, do I have, like I said earlier, do I have some connection to the vineyard? I have a lot of friends who, whose family owns vineyards, uh, own vineyards around here. And, and so that was like, um, you know, so I don't think I was drinking like crap wine prior um, to scout and cellar, but I just really appreciate the transparency of like, here's what's in the bottle. Here's what's not. Um, so yeah, it just became really important to me, like, you know, to support these small family farms for my food sake. So for me now, like drinking my wine, isn't any different. It's, it's the same thing. Um, and I want to support places that are doing it, you know, the old fashioned way, um, and biodynamically and organically and doing what's better for us and better for our planet. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And we, I will say Scout and Cellar is not the only company that does this, right? But to your point about like you're shopping locally and you're trying to do all the right things, it's really tough to know. So, and that's why like I've gotten involved in Beauty Counter. I'm now a Scout and Cellar consultant. I like to vet these brands and then just be able to shop without having to think too much because I know this company is staying consistent with the standards that I have and the things that I value. So as a consumer, it makes it easier because there's, there's even like health food. I've talked about thrive market and I think they do have some better options, but they're not all like I've looked into it a bit and there's such a lack of transparency, but they did not all meet the standards that I had um, based on what I was able to find. So it just is more difficult. Like I might be able to buy wine there, but I can't just buy anything they have on their site. Um, and I think like dry farm wines, I do think they meet everything every standard I have. So, but there's not many companies that are doing this. And I think Scout and Cellar has a little bit of a better price point. So I'm like, I'm like all in because it kind of checks all the boxes. But I think just like uh, there's something nice about being able to be a lazy consumer while also being a conscious consumer. Yes. 
Absolutely. That's, I agree. Like you don't want to, you know, with young kids, you know, as you know, you, you can't really spend it. It's a lot more efficient to vet one brand and then stick with it than vet every single thing you're trying to purchase um, every time you're trying to buy something. And, you know, and it's hard. They make it really hard to find out um, what's in your makeup, what's in your, you know, your wine, whatever. So I feel like that's a really smart way to go about it as a consumer is just find one that, you know, you can trust um, and stick with it. And for me, it's like spread the mission, like share it with people, because I think, it is life-changing, um, these kinds of things, right? Like finding these cleaner options for all things like, yeah, beauty, wine, all of it. Like it's out there. Um, it is out there, but it's, it's, you know, sometimes it feels like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, so I think once you do, yeah, you really got to like hold on to it and, and enjoy it. Yeah. It's like the cleaner, but it's also coupling that with, do you know the mission of the companies where you're putting your money into? Mm -hmm. And uh, for the most part, like, no. (laughs) So, and that's something my husband and I talk about. It's like, how can we spend less money at Amazon? And it's this giant that's getting so much power. I mean, this is such a big tangent, but I think it's important to just try to be more of a conscious consumer and like wherever you feel called to put into this, to put in research and support small businesses, like that's how we're going to support racial equality. Like it's, it's not by putting more money into these billionaires. Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, And it's hard to get away from. I mean, we get a lot of stuff on Amazon too. You know, it's like, it is, it's tough. Um, and you, and you can be really conscious about it and it's still going to be really hard. Um, so I think you're right. You just, you find where you can make a big impact and you feel passionately about, um, and share and spread that mission. Totally. Yeah. We just tend to go all in when we find something that works. So, um, so I know we wanted to get a little more into the health aspect of it. And I put out a call for questions and I got questions around, um, gut health as well as like mineral balance with drinking because so I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I am not going to tell everybody it is totally a healthy choice for you to drink. Like it, it might not be the best option for everybody. Um, but I'm also not going to tell anybody like you can't drink to be healthy. You know, like I'm not a big fan of this dogmatic, like yes, no list kind of things, but there are, there are issues inherent in alcohol. So I did want to be a conscious nutritional therapy practitioner and talk about that. Mm -hmm. So, because I didn't want to put this episode out and think that I'm saying like, oh, as long as it's clean wine, drink as much as you want and you'll still be able to meet your health goals. Cause that's not necessarily true. Um, so one thing that I will note is drinks like beer um, and some of these malt beverages, so certain cans that are made from malted liquor rather than from like grapes, they will turn to fat in your liver like immediately. So there's like maltose that you produce from having these wines, the, the or not from the wines, from the beer. And it's really not like you'll put on body fat pretty immediately. So, and that's true for some liquors as well. Um, Again, like the malted stuff. So, um, and just gluten in general, I'm not anti-gluten for everybody, but it's not the best thing to consume. I think it's like 
like with caution <laughs> consume it. Um, I think you said you did like as a part of CrossFit, you've done paleo before. Yeah, I did paleo for a while. That was kind of like my first um, like test into messing with my diet. Um, and I did, I did it for a while and it was great. I mean, I think it's a great way to eat. I do eat gluten now. I'm, we, I make sourdough at home. So I feel like I'm eating a little more high quality gluten than, you know, I could be. Um, but it, it doesn't, um, I, I, I've never noticed for me personally, a really negative effect with, um, gluten on my body. I don't think I, you know, I'm not, um, intolerant. Um, but cutting it out was, pretty eye-opening as to how much I was consuming. I remember being like, wow, I don't even know how to like make a meal around something if I don't have like, I don't know, bread or, you know, rice. And I don't know. Yeah. So I I think like, you're right. It's just something to pay attention to and cutting it out and putting it back in is a great way to observe how your body's handling it, but also like, what are you putting on your plate? Cause it's hard if you're just kind of going along with what you've always been doing. But yeah, so it's just one of those things. And gluten from sourdough is different. Like it's it's partially fermented and broken down. So the actual molecule is different that you're consuming. Mm-hmm. So it might not have the same effect on your body. But yeah, I'm not paleo anymore, but I'm a big fan of it for the anti-inflammatory nature mm-hmm. of the foods that are allowed on the paleo diet. So just talking about inflammation in general, alcohol is going to inhibit anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. Uh, I know that sounded like a mouthful, (laughs) but basically your body inflames and anti-inflames all the time. So like you cut your finger on something, inflammation rushes to the area to heal it. And then you have anti-inflammatory prostaglandins that will bring the inflammation down once your body doesn't need it anymore. So I feel like inflammation is talked about in this like, it's always bad kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, but what alcohol can do is stop that anti-inflammatory piece. So you get a headache, you get inflammation, you're, it's brought back down. So the alcohol is going to like keep that headache there rather than be able to get rid of it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not like the alcohol is causing the inflammation, but it, it inhibits the body's ability to get rid of it. Mm. So if you have something like a major injury that you're trying to heal from, alcohol might not serve you that well because it's it's going to mess with this inflammatory process. So that's kind of one thing that I would say, like maybe it's not the best choice, even if it's the cleanest wine there is. Um, right. So that's one thing. Right. That's what I always tell people. Like, well, am I not going to get a, you know, they ask, am I not going to get a hangover with Scott and Seller? And it's like, well, if you drink a whole bottle of it, you're, you're going to get a hangover. Like it's not, it's still alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, but there are a lot of things you can do and I'll get into that a little bit, like why you feel like that. But um, so yeah. And then I will say another question I got a lot about was gut health and alcohol is damaging to the gut lining. So again, I'm going to say something like, but it's, it's a tolerable level for most of us who are leading healthy lifestyles, you know, and you're consuming, you're consuming the alcohol in reasonable quantities. You're not having like 12 drinks every night. Mm-hmm. So But again, if you're somebody who's having major food allergies or like in an uh, active autoimmune state where 
you do need to do some healing on your gut lining. And we do have an episode of the podcast about gut health, which I think would be great to listen to. But if you're in one of these active inflammatory states in the gut, that would be another time where I don't recommend drinking. Um, But also caffeine and sugar are two of the big gut inflammations. Uh, And also um, like aspirin or uh, ibuprofen, like those kind of drugs. So these are all going to have similar effects to the gut lining where it increases the permeability. So if something, if you have leaky gut, alcohol or caffeine or sugar can all make that a little bit worse. So, and this is again, when you're in a really active state of this and you're trying to do some healing, I would probably for a short time avoid any kind of alcohol. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to touch on was, uh, which will bring us into the hangover, is the mineral effect that alcohol, like the effect alcohol has on the mineral balance in your body. So alcohol is a diuretic which is going to get liquid or water out of your body. And a lot of times you lose a lot of your electrolytes when this happens. So a diuretic is going to stop that reabsorption of water that happens in your large intestine and and just let it go, um, let it go out of your body rather than like retaining that. So that's why people will say to drink a lot of water when you're drinking alcohol is to um, to bring that balance back, like with it being a diuretic. But a lot of times what they're not recommending is increasing mineral consumption. So a lot of times, even if you did a great job of like drinking a glass of water between every drink or whatever it is, you might not, you might have lost the minerals from the alcohol and not replenished them. So there's definitely things you can do like coconut water rather than water. So you're you're generally releasing zinc, magnesium, and potassium, uh, as well as sodium is what you would be missing out on. So even with a couple drinks, I do think it's helpful to maybe take some sort of, they have a lot of those like electrolyte packets now. I wouldn't recommend Gatorade, <laughs> but uh, like a noon tablet or like some of those things. And I, I do think it'll make a difference in that hangover because a lot of times that's what you're feeling is dehydration. And dehydration doesn't just mean you didn't drink enough water if you don't have the minerals that allows the water to go into your cells then you're just drinking water and peeing it out. Like you're not getting the water in your body. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a mouthful, but did that all make sense? No, it totally does. It, it does. It makes a lot of sense. So I, I I want this to be, obviously this is a health podcast, not a just a drinking podcast. So I just wanted to give that information so that it, it, we're kind of holistically telling people how to add or I guess keep or add alcohol into a healthy lifestyle. So yeah, that was sure. that would kind of be my things is like drink something that's lower than sugar. If you're having more than probably one drink, try to try to add some protein or fat when you're drinking, add some minerals and yeah, there and and listen to your body if you're in a state where it's affecting you negatively, it should speak to you pretty clearly. (laughs) I mean, look at your poop. Like, are you pooping every day? Like that'll, that'll tell you a lot about your gut health. And if that's not something that's regular or it's majorly impacted when you're drinking, 
that's kind of a sign that it, it might not be great for your gut, but, um, I'm, I, I really do enjoy wine and I, I like doing it. Like I like being able to include it in a healthy way now, rather than just like, Oh, I'm being bad. I'm having a drink. Like, it, it, I don't know. This stuff needs to be maintainable for the long term, versus like when I used to do diets that would last three weeks and then you'd fall off because you had some wine and then you might as well have the cake. And then, you know, I, right. I don't know if yeah. you've gone through that, but that, that seems to be our culture yeah, where it's like cool to be on a diet and it's cool to break your diet. And it's just like, no, I want this to be the next, however long I'm alive. Like I'm just going to make healthy choices and wine's a part of that for me. Right. Totally. And that doesn't mean it has to taste. It's just like wine is similar to food. It's like, it doesn't have to taste um, terrible. Like some people like still view dieting as like, Oh, I just have to eat, you know, food that tastes like nothing and it's bland and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you can make really delicious, healthy food. That's going to serve your body really well. Um, And it's the same with the wine, like Scott and Cellars wine is amazing. It's delicious. And I put it, it's, it's so interesting because now that I've been drinking it, I drink it exclusively um, in terms of wine. And now when I, when I, I put it next to not too long ago, one of my old favorites and I was like, tasted one and then the other. And it my the one I used to really love tasted so sweet. And it's so interesting, like how quickly your palate will adjust. Um, because I would have never told you that that wine was sweet before. I, in fact, I would have told you like, I hate sweet wine, but tasting it next to a scout and cellar wine, it tasted sweet. So it definitely left some questions in my mind. Like, is there sugar in there? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like the same with like dark chocolate. Like I eat 95% dark chocolate now and it's like, yeah, you build up to it. (laughs) So yeah. Um, yeah, you, it might not, it might taste bland or bitter on day one, but it'll go away quickly. No, we, we do. So. Actually, have you ever from Trader Joe's, they have, this isn't off topic, but now we're talking about chocolate. Um, they have <laughs> the, um, gosh, I want to, I think it's called like Montezuma chocolate or Mont, Mont I can't remember, but it's like a hundred percent. So it's like bitter, you know, it's like, tastes like baking chocolate or something. Um, but it's, I mean, I love it. And I put it in a date. I put like a, I cut the date open and put a little piece in there and then like maybe like a little bit of almond butter on it. Oh, and like the date just like sweetens it up just enough. That's tasty. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And if I was used to eating Hershey's bars, like 95% chocolate, like, yeah. So it's just all like, you'll get used to it. Trust us. (laughs) And your body will thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I just wanted to share a little bit about why I ended up being a Scott and Zeller consultant. It's it's really just I like supporting these companies that are doing it right. And, uh, you know, I'm getting my wine at a discount. I'm getting to share it with friends. I, I talked to you, Nicole, like a big motivation for me was like, I want to if I go out with some ladies in my neighborhood, I would love it if they brought quality wine just like I did so that I'm not opening my bottle and I only get one glass and then I'm stuck with, do I want to <laughs> drink what the other people brought? So, yeah. um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited, but if you want to, um, shop with Scott, Scott and Seller or get more information, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Nicole. If Laura Bruner sent you here, you can reach out to her. 
Um, so this, this is going to apply to not just gout and cellar wine. The information is like, you can do research and find your own things, but we're definitely here to support you if you, if you wanted to learn more. Yeah. Awesome. I love talking to people about it. I love, um, chatting with people who are interested in in making the switch because I've watched it change people's life and perspective on wine and drinking. Um, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I think that's all we have for today. And you can find me, Michelle, at Michelle Taggy underscore NTP on Instagram. And you can find Nicole at Nicole.MotherhoodMemoir. Yeah, thanks for listening. I love it.